Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And this week we're asking Abba's Bjorn Olveus, how does a pop winner take it all? sold over 400 million albums, had nine number one hits in the UK alone, and was known worldwide. Between 1974 and 1980, its hits included Waterloo, Dancing Queen, Knowing Me, Knowing You, Take a Chance on Me. Unless you've lived under a rock all this time, you'll probably know the tunes of the supergroup ABBA. They haven't performed together since 1986, but it's just been revealed that they've made two brand new songs to be released in December. And Mamma Mia 2, the second movie to emerge from the box office musical, is out now. The durability of the band's hits has meant vast commercial as well as artistic success. So four and a half decades after they emerged in Napoleon Ware to win Eurovision in 1974 with Waterloo, what's next for the eternal Swedish songsters? Bjorn Oveus, one of the two bees in ABBA. Welcome to The Economist Asks. Thank you. We were just chatting as we were getting going and I was telling you that I have the original single of Waterloo, 1974, was your Eurovision breakthrough. Fantastic. When you meet people like me who have followed ABBA and ABBA's Afterlife for what is now four decades, I was obviously very small at the time, do you think, oh my goodness, it's it's that long? Or what do you feel when you meet very long-standing fans? It's quite strange. I mean, intellectually... I can understand figures, huge figures of, you know, sold records and stuff like that. But emotionally, it's quite difficult to grasp that it has meant a lot to a lot of people over a long period of time. And that you and I are sitting here talking about this, something which I thought would be, you know, gone into oblivion, like two years after we'd split up. So I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled by it when people come up to me and tell me how much our music has meant and grateful. But I have to say that I don't know quite how that happened. Just one look and I can hear the rain One more look and I can get everything Whoa, mamma mia, here I go Tell me why you decided to take Mamma Mia forward. You had this big hit with the musical on yes. stage yeah. and a film. Yeah. You might think like three times is pushing luck. Yes. But you did it. Why? Well, obviously, Universal Pictures 
they wanted Mamma Mia 2 much earlier. <laughs> so there's been talk about it for these past 10 years. And there have been a few scripts as well. Either it's not us liking them or Hollywood. But then when uh, Old Parker and Richard Curtis came up with this idea of telling two stories, and when I saw Old Parker's first draft, I thought, no, oh, this, is, this is fun. You know, we could actually do this. This would be great to see this movie. It's what I felt, and, and, and Benny too, so we said, yes, okay, let's go ahead and do Does this Does it take one. the four of you to give permission for something to go ahead? In this case, we're talking about music and lyrics. So, so it's, it's really Benny and me, but of course we talk to the girls as well about it, ladies, about it. <laughs> like anything that concerns ABBA, we all four talk about it. And then you have to have other people performing your songs. Whoever's in the, the movie gets mm-hmm. to, to sing the songs. Pleasurable or occasionally painful? <laughs> some, some actors don't have to sing that much which means that you have more freedom in kind of choosing them. Whereas um, main characters like Donna, the, uh, the part played by Mary Streep in, in the first one, we have the young Donna in, in, in this one, and uh, Lily James, and she sings like a goddess. I have a dream, to sing. And then the other main character is, of course, Sophie, Donna's daughter. And that's Amanda Seyfried, who also sings even better than she did ten years ago. So we're very lucky with, with those. And Christine Baranski is a great singer. So they, mostly they sing very well, most of them. And you don't try to replicate an ABBA sound because it is it's extremely distinctive anyone switching on a radio yeah. knows when it's ABBA yes it's very distinctive and we actually recorded two songs with ABBA again um, this is about a year ago uh, two new songs and then you know the minute those two ladies went into the studio and opened their mouths and sang together wow that's ABBA, and it doesn't sound like anything else. I'm interested in, in why you did that, because you had said it in the past, you'd like people to remember ABBA as they were, mm-hmm. young, exuberant, full of energy and ambition. Yeah. Well, you still seem pretty exuberant and full of energy and ambition, but ABBA Thank is a you. bit... <laughs> <laughs> Same goes for all of us, huh? But ABBA is older, and it does feel like a bit of a risk to put it back together again. Why do it? Because, again, because it was a challenge, uh, something nobody had ever done before. So what we're doing is that we're creating heads, digital humans of ourselves from 1979. That's the year we chose. I think the, the, the ladies did. We looked particularly good then, apparently. So you will see those avatars... And you, you will not see that they're not human beings. But they are digital humans and they will sing the new songs that we have recorded. The avatars. Yes. So through their lips will come the voices of Agneta and Frida of today. 
And what did it feel like to, to do that again, given that so many of the songs, particularly towards the back end when Abba was together, were mm. you know, quite sad. Mm. There's a sort of goodbye, a melancholy feeling yes. to the lyrics. What's the feeling of the new songs? What I know you're recapturing, and, but also looking forward. So how do you strike that balance? Well, first of all, we, we just wrote two new songs as best we could without ever thinking about, you know, another single competing with the others in the charts or anything like that. One of them is, is like a pop song from the 70s. The other one is kind of timeless, but they're both reflective, uh, especially the one called I Still Have Faith in You. It's um, almost existential, and it reflects on, on the four of us and the life we have now. So I guess we didn't even think. We just did what, you know, what, what seemed to be the best at the time, which was one year ago. And, and I'm very proud of both songs, actually. Can you give us a line from one of the songs? No. Get one. <laughs> a small exclusive. No, that's uh, I Still Have Faith in You and Don't Shut Me Down is the other one. We'll have to wait and see. When will we hear them? It was planned for the end of this year, but I think we're talking about the beginning of next year now. I know a bit about your lyrics. I like your lyrics a, a lot. And I've always been fascinated by the way you were able to combine this bouncy pop style, Dancing Queen and Mamma Mia, with quite serious subjects that you, you've written about. Divorce, there as you used the word existential a moment ago, which mm. doesn't sort of think of so much with disco hits. What topics do you want to address now in music? I'm still interested in relationships of various kinds. Not necessarily boy falling in love with girl, but other, other aspects as well. And I, that's where I usually land. I, I find politics, stuff like that, quite uninteresting for music it's it's very often that the music tells me what it's about uh, it kind of conjures up images or, or even like film sequences in my head you know when I hear something which doesn't have words and then it's just a matter of writing down writing that down in in lyric form and telling a little story the story that I see in my head you make it sound quite easy. It is. It is. It's. Uh, and when people ask you that annoying question of what's the secret to writing a pop song, um, you have to be very true to yourself and serious, and uh, you have to trust your own taste and and, and your own uh, intuitions. Don't speculate get inspiration from other people and from other songs but don't copy write your own things and if you're lucky some other people will like it as well I wondered given that so much time has elapsed from the mid 70s 80s and beyond you when music changed a lot but so did society and you track a lot of society I think particularly European society in, in your songs in in small ways are there songs that you now look back and think eee, I would not write now and I'm thinking of something like does your mother know that you're out <laughs> which in the me too era and a sort of greater awareness a squeamishness uh, you know of 
a sort of possibly exploitative relationships with younger women. Yeah. Maybe not so much, Bjorn? Maybe I'd hesitated today. You're absolutely right. But there was this young girl, you know, <laughs> that I must have met sometime during my career, on tour perhaps, who came up to me like that. But, um, uh, you know, I never went across the, the, the limit. As you can see in the song, I told her, stay off, take it easy, you're too young, and so forth. So I have clean conscience. Uh, do you think the sort of feminism has changed the way that we see either the lyrics or the presentation of ABBA, you know, with the sort of gorgeous girls in their catsuits and extraordinary yeah. wardrobes? And you, I mean, would you style it differently now? I don't think so. We had fun and, and we were you know equals and and there was never any talk about anything else but i think the me too revolution especially i think in sweden i find that it's it's meant so much it's incredible it has changed so much it was a revolution i think we're thinking differently now but then again our marriages and divorces were completely, you know, on equal terms. And um, so there again, I have a clean conscience. I'm a feminist, always been. You describe yourself, I think, as a free thinker, a humanist. Y yes. What do you mean by that? I don't necessarily uh, think that human beings can sort out everything, but what else is there? We have to do things ourselves. We have to take responsibility for everything. I mean, us humans. Because if there is anything else out there ruling our lives, well, we haven't seen any of it yet. So while we're waiting for that, I think we humans have to take responsibility for what we're doing. Is there a song that you think sums up your political outlook, small p political, humanist outlook? I'm a liberal, I'm a kind of a social liberal, if that tells you, you know, that's roughly where I am. You sound and like a perfect economist reader. <laughs> yes. I hope you are. Yeah, I, I, I do read the, the Economist every week, and uh, it's, it's one of my favourites, the leaders especially. I love the, the leaders in The Economist. You should come into one of our leader conferences. <laughs> So your outlook, as you say, is socially liberal. It's not music that's intended to drive a particular conclusion. But I'm also struck, I mean, for me growing up with your music, it was a window into Europe, particularly mm. uh, Northern Europe. Uh, you have songs that are set in, in Paris. Our Last Summer is also yeah. a song about Paris, yeah. as well as a story about breaking up. And it had that Scandi sound that it just felt very fresh. It was a time of perhaps greater ambition in the EU and the idea of a European ideal. Yeah. You're here in London at the time of yeah, Brexit, chaos, other strains on the European ideal. Yes. How do you feel about that? I feel very bad about that. I'm a European through and through. And I'm really, really sad that some of the Brits feel that they, you know, wanna, don't want to be among their friends anymore. And I just don't understand it. But there you go. Uh, I hope that um, the rest of Europe will s somehow find some strength to uh, 
withstand the populists and and those who um, deep down want to be dictators and and are enemies of democracy. I think deep down. You've seen so, your own country change quite a lot as well, haven't you? From the, I mean, your yes. music is used in the Lucas Mudesen film SOS about the changes in Swedish society from a kind of to put the boot on the other foot, so to speak. That the social democratic ideal is also a bit tattered, isn't it? And it is. It's very. It's very tattered, all over Europe, all over the world, perhaps. It, it's like they cannot find the path anymore, and they uh, the the relevance. Everyone wonders what what is the relevance in social democracy. It used to be so nice. It used to be so good. But I think liberal democracy, when it's at its best in Europe, that's what we must be fighting for. Well, that's and, actually one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you for a season that we're doing called Open Future, which looks at the challenges to yeah. liberal democracy. I'm also interested of how specifically Swedish you think your music was and is and in the sense it has that depressive undertone sometimes and if I think of something like SOS it is it's what it says it, it's an urgent cry of pain about things how much do you feel that you're influenced by a sort of darker Scandinavian tradition in literature in poetry and songs oh very much very much abbas music is is described sometimes as happy sad um, and there's certainly a melancholy underlying the exuberant voices and the sound is, is so happy and uplifting but there, there is darkness underneath and there is melancholy uh, of a particular nordic kind i think in it but uh, you said that you you found that our music was like a window to Europe, and um, I think that's because growing up, Benny and I were exposed to all kinds of music through Swedish radio in uh, other ways. Um, so uh, French chansons, German schlager, Italian ballads, plus um, Nordic folk music and, and stuff together with pop and rock and roll. We had all that in us when we started writing. So I think we're very European at the same time. There's the odd bit of Bach in there, isn't there? Yeah. There's the odd fugue. And I think that we're the only, in in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we're the only non-Anglo-Saxon group ever (laughs) inducted, which is incredible. Question for our listeners is, which ABBA song has Marilyn French, the feminist writer, in it? Do you remember? Yes. You wrote that? Um, The Day Before You Came. Funnily enough, on the new cast album from um, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, you can hear Meryl Streep as as an extra track singing The Day Before You Came. And we decided that Marilyn French is not that well-known anymore. People, Many people wonder. So Marilyn French, in that Meryl Streep version, is Margaret Atwood. Ah! Yes. Now you've replaced <laughs> Marilyn French with Margaret Atwood. <laughs> I'm yes. sure we'll hear a lot from our listeners about that choice. Okay, I blame it on Meryl. 
<laughs> Blame it on Meryl, exactly. So the world has changed a lot in these 35 years. Uh, and I wondered, you know, being back here in, in London, launching something new, you must reflect on your own life as well. How much have, have you changed in that time? And if I interviewed you as the, the little girl mm-hmm. watching Waterloo in 1974, you, what is your, if you could sum up your personal journey, what is it? Well, generally, as I am 73 now, I have more freedom, I am braver, I can make quicker decisions, I'm not as worried about everything as that young man was, I take it much more easy and uh, I, you know, lift my eyes and I see the bigger picture much more often than he did. So if I'd give him advice it would be you know don't be so worried things will sort themselves out i think i'm going to take head over heels as your song to my desert island if i have to take oh really yes ah. i'm taking that one i think for young women it's a great song and with no trace of hesitation she keeps going head over heels breaking my way what would you take if i had to take an abba song i would take some other song I wouldn't take an Abba song. No, I, I would take uh, um, a symphony by Beethoven. And you can have an Abba song as well. I don't know. It's it's very difficult. Uh, there are they are like from different periods. And so I have favorites from various different periods we went through. I, I think if you listen to our albums from beginning to end, there is a development. They are kind of younger sounding more teenage oriented in the beginning and more mature towards the end so that makes it almost impossible to pick just one Bjorn Ulvaeus thank you so much for talking to us and thank you and do get in touch with your thoughts and memories on ABBA and what you think of them getting back together again as avatars. You can email us radio at economist.com or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. From me, Anne McElvoy in London, this is The Economist, dancing off into the sunset. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.